Welcome to the Aesthetic Doctor Podcast. We don't shy away and keep secrets here. We empower you with education, telling you the truth about all things aesthetic medicine while encouraging you to be the best version of yourself. It's time to look great and feel good doing it. This is your host, mom, speaker, and board-certified physician, Dr. Judith Forger. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Aesthetic Doctor podcast. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Diga Fongard, or Dr. D, as she's known on social media. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician and the owner of Delight Medical and Aesthetics in McLean, Virginia. She is also an avid, well-followed educator on social media, where she educates on skincare and aesthetic treatments that are safe for skin of color. Please welcome Dr. D. Hello, hello, Dr. D. It is so lovely to have you with us today. And Dr. D, today we're talking about aesthetics and skin of color. As we kind of a little bit talked about in the intro, of course, skin of color is a very diverse kind of term. So kind of before we go into the episode, I want to quickly put in a disclaimer that obviously we're talking about a broad topic. And I think you can kind of explain the diversity within skin of color a little bit better than I can. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jude, for having me on your podcast. Um, so whenever someone asks me, like, okay, what when you think of skin of color, what does that exactly mean? Um, generally, we think about people who have the Fitzpatrick four to six. Um, but the way I like to think about it, I like to break them into people of African descent and people of Asian descent and then people who are multi-ethnic which basically means they're a combination of many different things. And even within each subgroup, there's so much diversity in that. And so, um, so that's basically how I look at skin of color. And depending on which group you're in, that's also going to determine um, how I approach you in terms of like your skin and also aesthetics, because different cultures have different um, cultural expectations for how they look and you cannot inject for example everybody the same way um, so that's just one example of how you know you have to approach different people based on where they're from basically yeah and um you know in your population do you specialize in any particular ethnic group or in any particular like procedure within us ethnic groups so generally, I don't. I, I My practice is marketed as a practice for people of color. But because I am Black, I will attract more Black patients. And so right now, I would say about 70% of my patient population is Black or of African descent. And then I also have about 10 to 15% of Indian patients who also have darker skin because they feel like they can identify with me. And then the rest of them are either um, Hispanic or, or Asian. And I have some Caucasian patients as well. So it's a nice mix. But for the most part, um, you tend to attract who you are because people, uh, Black people feel more comfortable with Black physicians. And so that's generally who I specialize, um, who I see. And with Black people, you know, you have to understand what their concerns are going to be. 
Um, historically, it's going to be pigmentation, hyperpigmentation specifically, and you have to know why they're having hyperpigmentation. Um, for a lot of my patients, they deal with facial hair or have PCOS. That leads to ingrown hairs, that leads to scarring, that leads to pigment. So I do a lot of laser hair removal, and there's a lot of fear um, surrounding laser hair removal in people of darker skin tones because on social media, we see a lot of people getting burned. And so it's really important for my patients to come here and feel like they're seeing a black doctor. We have equipment that's safe for people with darker skin and we know how to approach their issues, right? So we always start with laser hair removal and then we could do other treatments like chemical peels or microneedling to help them get smooth, even skin tone because that is really the most important thing uh, when it comes to the um, skincare and anti-aging for people of black descent or African descent. Um, and yeah. then everything else comes later. It, it is interesting because you already kind of answered my first question, which was going to be like, what are some of the, um, you know, most unique aspects or, um, you know, issues that you see people of color deal with? Because in my practice, um, it's, you know, the same thing. It's uh, people of color really, other than the regular anti-aging and maintaining nice glowing skin, which I think we all want. We all want beautiful skin, right? Um, because of the increased pigment and the increased chance of pigmentation. And for those of you who are lay people, um, you know, she used the Fitzpatrick scale, which is really, um, you know, this is uh, for the general public. The Fitzpatrick scale is how we in dermatology and aesthetics kind of type your skin type based on the number of pigment in your skin. So, you know, when it goes from one to six, one is sort of, you know, the Julianne Moores of the world, my daughter, redhead, pale, pale skin freckles. Um, she mentioned four, that is um, somebody generally um, of Hispanic descent, most of them five, we kind of want to think about Indian skin types, or maybe mixed skin types. And then when we think about six, we're really talking about people of African descent, or people with an African American complexion. And again, I realized that there's shades, and there's variety and genetic everything. But, you know, just because you use a medical term for our um, lay people listening, I just kind of wanted to break that down. Um, you know, in our practice, we do see a lot of um, people of color that do come in for hyperpigmentation concerns because that's what they feel like is the flaw um, to their skin. And you're absolutely right. You know, I'm fortunate enough that both of my estheticians are um, people of color. And so we actually and we really try to create a very diverse experience and try to also purchase equipment that is safe for all skin types, because I think and I would love for you to speak to this a little bit. I think historically, the aesthetic industry, as in like when we talk about mainstream aesthetics and lasers, there has been a little bit of a kind of focus on developing treatments for lighter skinned people. So, you know, please just tell me about the differences that you see with the equipment that gets purchased, you know, the marketing, even I, I brought that up to one of the aesthetics companies. And I was like, you know, I, I'm looking for your marketing for sure. And, and like, could you use anybody other than like a white woman? And they looked at me like, oh, you know, because I was like, well, we want to share all at least in representation of our practice and what we can do, we want to make sure that we represent everybody. 
Absolutely. Um, speaking of reps, all of my reps know me. Um, the first thing I look at are the brochures. And, you know, because I have gotten to a point where I'm comfortable saying, you know, my practice is for people of color, you basically have to come correct. Like if you're bringing a brochure and you don't have information that really fits into my practice, I'm sending you out the door. Um, but like you said, historically, um, you know, lasers, for example, or even just um, aesthetic treatments were not necessarily geared towards people of color. Um, I know some of my patients who have tried lasers in the past, like 10, 20 years ago, they'll tell me how painful it was because they had to get modified alexandrites, which is like something that we use for lighter skin tones, or um, they would get burns, or they just felt like the yags at that time, and the yags were so painful that they just didn't feel like they could come back for these treatments. And so the perception in the culture is that there's nothing for us. Um, it's not marketed towards them. And when they go to practices or med spas or, um, or derm offices, they get told that we don't have anything for you, or your skin is too dark without giving a true explanation as to why their equipment may not be the best for them. And in turn, they tend to unknowingly, I believe, shame a lot of these patients. Because if you come to a med spa and you have this issue, and instead of saying, you know, we don't have the, we, we don't have the right equipment, you say your skin is too dark, what they hear is, I'm not good enough, you know? Um, and I see that, I see that, so many times I see that happening every day. Um, but I think that slowly the industry is moving towards um, adding or being more inclusive. I think that they have realized that there's a gap in the market. Um, there's always this assumption, at least when I decided to focus on people of color, that people of color don't spend money on these services, which is not true. Um, so I think they're starting to realize that. And you can see like a lot of marketing campaigns, I would say Allegan and ZMN recently. Yeah, um, ZMN has a new, I love their new campaign because they are, I think for the first time prominently feature, featuring a woman of color. Exactly. And so it's nice to see that because then it gives people confidence like, okay, maybe these treatments are safe for me. Maybe I can attempt to try these things when before it was not inclusive at all. So um, I think we're starting to go in the right direction, but a lot of work still needs to be done. And I love how you brought up language because I think language is so important. Um, for example, you know, because hyperpigmentation is such an issue. And I do think, you know, like you've already mentioned, hyperpigmentation is one of the um, most pressing issues that might land African-American women into your office. Um, you know, a lot of people see, let's say, IPLs taking away brown spots in our before and afters in, let's say, lighter skinned people. And so a lot of times, you know, they come into our office and say, I want an IPL. Of course, IPLs are not safe for higher Fitzpatrick's or darker skinned people, but we do have other options. So the language, like you said, is not to say, well, you can't have this treatment, but to say, you know, due to the risk of actually causing more hyperpigmentation, this is not the right laser for you. However, you know, we have the Texel, we have the Frax, we have these peels, and those are specifically formulated and much better for your skin and are not going to make you 
hyperpigment. So, you know, we can still address your issues or we can still attempt to address your issue. It's just that this is not the tool for your skin tone based on the risk of hyperpigmentation, because the last thing we'd want to do is cause more hyperpigmentation versus sort of, you know, blaming the patient. So I think if anybody's listening, who's a practitioner, you know, language is so important. Yeah. So, um, you know, if let's say somebody listening is somebody of, you know, darker skin tone that might have not felt comfortable going into the med spa down the road and they're considering getting treatments done for, you know, whatever, whether that is some Botox some microneedling, some laser hair removal, everything. And they're really kind of evaluating all the med spas in their town. What do you think should they look for to try to find the best medical spa for them or the best medical aesthetics practice? I mean, this is a difficult question, um, but I think uh, the way I, and I ask my patients this all the time, like, how did you find me? Um, and just to understand their thought process as to how they finally land on my doorsteps. And usually they look at the marketing, they look at social media to see if there's any representation. Um, so for example, if you have before and afters of a diverse group of people, then they feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, if you have staff that is diverse, then they feel a little bit more comfortable because even if the owner is not necessarily black, they feel like there's somebody there that they can talk to who can understand their situation. And so also on the website, like my website, I make sure that all the pictures, well, for the most part are either um, people who are black or Asian or Hispanic and because those are the people that I'm trying to work with so it's really important that in your outside marketing uh, content marketing you make sure you put people who represent them and that's a good place to start and I think the other thing that you can do as a practitioner is to when you're doing educational topics on social media to also include topics that are specific to people of color um, because again everyone's listening for what their issue is right so if you're talking about fillers well maybe that's not necessarily what they're looking for right but you need to talk about pigments you need to talk about make face volume loss and explain that this is something that's very specific to people of, of African descent for example or you need to talk about scarring and the, the concern about keloids because this is something that people who have African descent are looking for so you need to also diversify your marketing and your content that you as a practitioner are talking about on social media and I think in doing that that builds trust and that will lead more people to come to you Okay, so um, that advice is actually for both the practitioner and the patient, <laughs> um, because if they don't see that you care about them, they will not come to you. But if they see that you care, you have a genuine interest in their concerns, they will come to you. It's really that simple. Yeah, and I and I definitely uh, know that we could we could absolutely as a practice and as a practitioner, we could do better in being more diverse in our representation on social media and on websites. Absolutely. So thank you for the reminder. Um, so, um, you know, in terms of clinical pearls for people of color, like what clinical pearls do you have? And, and this is really geared both for practitioners and for patients. What are some of the myths that you see out there? Um, what are some of the things that you would really want everybody to know having this platform of exposure right now? 
So, I mean, there are so many things we could talk about. I, I will hit three major things. Perfect. I want to talk about um, the concern about facial hair and, uh, and how that leads to acne, um, hyperpigmentation and how that leads to scarring. So most of the time, patients don't really understand that the hair on their face is the biggest problem and what's triggering the, the scarring and the pigment. And so you'll find that they'll go to other places and they try to get chemical peels and they try to get microneedling and they're not treating the underlying issue. And so um, when you're when someone comes in and they're having hyperpigmentation, usually there's two things you have to think about. You have to think about hair or you have to think about acne. And either way, those two things need to be treated. It's really, really important. So the, the benefit of doing laser hair removal is that when you do hair removal, that heat also helps with the scarring. So you have to really explain to your patient all the benefits that come from doing this treatment. Tell them if, I, if we can reduce the hair, we can actually get you that glowing skin that you want, right? So it's, it's, I mean, also for the practitioner, it's understanding like the pathophysiology and then being able to explain it in a way that they understand. So they understand the treatment plan that you have for them, okay? So very common, it's facial hair that leads to hyperpigmentation and scarring. The other thing is acne. Um, this is common for everybody. Again, acne will lead to hyperpigmentation and scarring. Now, acne is tricky, I think, for us people of color because we have all of these other remedies um, that are cultured to us, right? So you'll hear someone say they're using black soap for their acne or they use shea butter or they use all these other things, which you may not be familiar with. So a little bit of it is actually learning a little bit about how other cultures manage their skin concerns. And not necessarily demonizing it, but trying to explain to them that this may not necessarily work because if you have acne, then you need to take care of the bacteria. You need to take care of the inflammation. You need to take care of the sebum. And we use these procedures or these products to help with that. And what you're using is not necessarily helping to give you the end result. So you, you have to really like help them understand why you have the thought process that you have. You don't just go in there and you tell them, this is what we're going to do. And this are the things, this is the, these are the procedures or these are the medications. And then you're done with it. That's not going to work. They want to understand why. Um, and if you explain to them, then they're more, more likely to go along with your treatment plan. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is for um, volume loss. This is really big. A lot of times patients come in because they have um, tear trap deformities or they have mid-phase volume loss and they want that to be to improve. And that's very common in people of African descent. And they don't, they'll look at themselves, they don't really know what's going on, but they know something's off. And so it's explaining to them like, okay, if we're going to do tear trials, we first need to do mid-phase volume restoration for these reasons and explain to them. It's really simple, just, you know, explaining, explaining, explaining in um, as simple terms as possible would be the best solution to get your goal across. So those are the three major things that I, I think um, people of color really come in for, and we'd want some um, for, for practitioners to really think about focusing on. You know, the other thing that I want to quickly address is the myth about sunscreen. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes, especially with hyperpigmentation, we obviously know that heat and sun 
of course, like you said, we see a lot of that chin hyperpigmentation where people have plugged or shaved or waxed. And I absolutely agree. You know, we do a lot of um, that recommendation of, hey, the scarring and this darkness, we got to get the hair gone first, because as long as you have those hair follicles and you keep plugging them or waxing them, like this pigment is going to be there, right? Um but the other myth that I see a lot is that, you know, we know that sun, sun exposure, UVA and UVB and, um, you know, heat um, do also continue uh, contribute to hyperpigmentation. And so one of the myths that I kind of see a little bit in the darker skin population is, well, because I don't burn, I don't need sun protection. But of course, we know skin cancer is ubiquitous in all population. They cause premature signs of aging and less of elasticity. And again, sun exposure will make your hyperpigmentation worse. And, you know, it's actually really interesting talking about sunscreen. You know, there's also then sometimes this thing about, but sunscreen is not made for my skin color. And so, you know, we have also, and I'm so fortunate to have my amazing esthetician Malika, who like has taught me so much about, like you said, these little home remedies that I'd be like, I, I don't even understand what this is, you know, and I'm very open about it. And I was like, Malika, I have no idea what this is. And she'd be like, oh yeah, it's this one oil and you do this, that, the other with and then you mix it with vinegar and you do that and I'm like oh okay um but you know we test out all the sunscreens and she'll be like no order this one because it blends really nicely and the fact too that sometimes you could theoretically be really well-meaning and recommend a sunscreen but if somebody's going to put it on and it's not going to blend well with their skin again it's not for them yes yes um I tell my patients this, you have to wear sunscreen, um, but I am not, um, I don't, I don't care what sunscreen you wear. I don't care if it's physical. I don't care if it's chemical. I care that you wear it. So the best sunscreen is the one that you're going to wear. And a lot of times I tell my patient that if you have inflammation, the chances of hyperpigmentation is very high and UV rays will cause inflammation. And if you have inflammation already, because you have acne or you have an, an ingrown hair and you add the sunlight to that, that's going to make it worse. So the goals are always to decrease inflammation and to protect your skin from the sun. So yes, absolutely. But you're right. Um, I even I had recently had a patient come in and I talked to her about sunscreen. And she was like, I make my own sunscreen at home. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's interesting. She's like, I know I just mix up my oils and everything. And I put zinc oxide. I'm like, great. So what SPF is like, what is the SPF of that? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, well, it's kind of important to know. I mean, yes, we do have some built-in protection with our melanated skin, but it's not enough to protect us from hyperpigmentation. And so you educate them a little bit more and they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should get something that has SPF 30. And that way I know that I'm protecting my skin properly. So yeah, sunscreen is a struggle um, because a lot of times, again, depending on how the education is put out there, someone will be worried about a chemical sunscreen because they don't want to have chemicals in their body, right? Mm -hmm. And they're trying to be as healthy as possible into them. Chemical sunscreens can be unhealthy. And it's a struggle. I won't lie. It's still a struggle to get everybody on board 
But I tell my patients, if you're doing procedures, that's a non-negotiable. So yeah. at least in my office, that's how it goes. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, we absolutely try. I, I just thinking about like myths with skin of color, I feel like sunscreen is one that I hear quite a bit that it's not, you know, if you're not white, you don't need sunscreen because you're not going to burn. Yeah. Um, and so- we do, we do burn. so I've burned multiple times so um that's definitely more of a myth um and if they uh experience it on the enough sunlight they will get burned and that also gets tricky with melasma which is another thing that we (laughs) that comes up in in skin of color is the the trying to explain to patients that heat itself can be a trigger for melasma, not just exposure to sun, but that that heat. And it's really difficult for them to understand that correlation. But melasma is just one of those tricky... For everybody, for everybody. I mean, I think it's like universally tricky for absolutely everybody. One thing I wanted to mention, and this is more for practitioners and for patients as well, is that for your patients of color, you need to make sure you tell them or you explain to them that for them, the treatment course is always going to be slower. Yes, because again, especially with lasers, what we can safely put into somebody's skin that is pigmented with energy mm-hmm. is sort of less. And, and you guys, especially if you're off color or not off color, I do have a laser hair removal episode. So look back for that because it really goes through why we treat also different skin types differently and why the expectation if you are darker skin is to have a longer treatment course simply because we have to be extra careful to not hyperpigment. Absolutely. And yeah, so that gets tricky though, because um, when you're now talking about pricing for procedures, people are like, well, if it's longer, does it cost more? And and that's also something I think practitioners need to really weigh in is if the treatments are going to take longer, um, maybe that should be considered in the pricing of treatments for specific groups, just something to think about. Yeah, yeah, that is that is really a good idea to kind of think about like, you know, if we normally package our laser hair removal series, let's say as a series of six, like what what in most like darker skin types, what would you t- um, tell your patients as an expectation of how many laser hair removals it would take them? So, well, laser hair removal depends on if it's a hormonal hair or not. <laughs> so right, of course, of course. Um, but I usually say between six to 12, it's just a nice range to give people. Um, but I, I never really tell them to uh, expect like in six treatments, everything's going to be gone because you're going to need touch-ups, right? You know, you have- Oh yeah, we we talk about that too. Um, And then things happen too. People get sick, people get on antibiotics, um, people go to the beach. uh, So there's different things that could also prolong their treatment course, but you give them a range of six to 12 and tell them that that isn't necessarily concrete for everybody. Everybody's different. So um, this is just a general uh, number and just keep it general. Awesome. Well, I love that. And thank you so much, especially for, you know, sharing your pearls, really also being open and, you know, to have this conversation, because I think it's such an important conversation to have, um, because I would love for this industry to just be as inclusive as it can be, and also to represent the population that we serve, right? Um, It would be amazing if really 
the aesthetics world and our patients looked exactly like our population because then I feel like we would have succeeded in really making it as inclusive as possible. Um, are there any like sort of parting words of wisdom or any things you want to see in the future that you want to leave us with? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think the most important thing that I, and this is more towards aesthetic practitioners, um, in the next 20 years, half of the population will be um, skin of color. And so it's extremely, extremely important to make sure that you start to become more inclusive um, if you want your business to grow, honestly. Um, and also for the, you know, the aesthetic industry, I would, like you said, I would love to see a little bit more representation um, because generally for people of color, we have this big fear of medical and uh, the medical industry in general um, because, you know, we've gone through a lot, right? And so people, they need to keep that in mind and start to work towards forming that trust. And that really requires them to be more inclusive and to, like you said, be inclusive of people of color so that we can all grow. You know, people of color can get the look, the confidence that they want, and the businesses can also grow. And if you do that, then I think everybody wins. I love that. I think those are great parting words. Now, as always, um, you have a huge social media presence. So we are going to, of course, link all your stuff in the show notes. Um, but why don't you quickly, for those people who are listening and maybe not reading, tell us all the ways to find you. Uh, so the easiest way to find me is on Instagram. Uh, you can just Finds my DMs. I answer my DMs. I'm uh, my handle is Dr. DMD. It's the same for TikTok, which is where I'm more. Um, and just active. to kind of quickly spell that out, it's Dr. and then D E E. People, it's not like Doctor spelled out and not the letter D. It's Dr. D E E. Yes, Dr. D E E M D. It's my handle for TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And my business website is delightmdaesthetics.com. That is wonderful. Again, thank you so much for coming on to have this important and insightful conversation. And um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you at the next episode. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Aesthetic Doctor podcast with Dr. Judith Forger. We'd love to connect with you outside of the show. Follow Dr. Borger on Instagram at Dr. Borger and find more online and ways to work with Dr. Borger at www.theaestheticdoctor.com. Until next time, be well.